1: I'm Rob Wolf, and this is New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy, part of the New Books Network. Right off, let me say, if you haven't started subscribing to New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy, what are you waiting for? We'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe using your favorite podcast app. If you could like us on Facebook, too, please. While you're at it, go out there and buy some science fiction books, because writers need your support. Okay, so now let's talk about global warming. We all know that with global warming comes rising sea levels, and with rising sea levels there's changes in weather patterns, geography, all sorts of environmental havoc. Well, in Emmy Iteranta's debut book, Memory of Water, the defining environmental disaster definitely involves water, although it's not a question of there being too much, but of there being too little, extreme water scarcity. That's the backdrop to Ms. Iteranta's book, but like good sci-fi, it's really about so much more. It's about memory, as the title suggests. It's about authoritarian regimes, ability to manipulate the truth and what people know about the history of their world. And I suppose most of all, Ms. Ideranta's book is about a girl struggling to do the right thing in a world where everything seems to have gone terribly wrong. Ms. Ideranta was born and grew up in Finland, and she now lives in Canterbury, England, and she's with me now via Skype. So thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Let's talk about the world you've created in Memory of Water. There's so many different environmental disasters I suppose you could have chosen from, assuming you, know, you were wedded to the idea of setting your story in a post-global warming world, and I wonder how this particular world evolved in your imagination. You know, a world where drinkable water is severely rationed and where it poses some incredible challenges for your 17-year-old protagonist, Noria.
0: That's right. Um, I came up with the idea for for this book because I had been reading a lot about Japanese way of tea, uh, Japanese tea culture. I was very interested in that. And at the same time, I was following news about global warming, climate change, and particularly the impact that that would have on freshwater resources. So one day I saw um, this image in my head, which had the main character of the book, a young woman in a future world preparing tea for herself and... In that world, fresh water was running out. So that that image came to me and it contained the main elements of the story and the world already. And then when I started looking for books, particularly fiction, looking for novels about global warming from the point of view of lack of fresh water, Uh, I discovered that there were almost none out there. So it felt like climate change and global warming are becoming quite important themes in many books these days. But I couldn't find anything written from the point of view of what happens when uh, we run out of fresh water. And that's why I thought that that would be an interesting approach to to the theme.
1: Was your interest in the tea ceremony, did that come first? And then... You saw that as a vehicle for communicating about global warming, a story about global warming?
0: Yes, that's right. I had, had the interest in the, in the tea ceremony well before I came up with the idea for the book. And, and when the idea of the tea ceremony and uh, lack of fresh water, when those two things combined in my head, I thought this might be something worth pursuing as a story and in fiction.
1: Let's talk about Noria. I find it really interesting that you've made her a somewhat quiet heroine, and for me that seems a little unusual, because when I think of a teen protagonist of a science fiction book, I guess the first person who comes to mind lately is someone like Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games. Yes. She shoots arrows, she challenges authority, and Noria, strong, a strong character, and she has a very important job, which is to guard the, the secret of the existence of a hidden freshwater spring. And she's clearly strong inside. You know, I see that she has a strong moral compass and a sense of, of what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But she's also incredibly reserved. And in some situations, like with her parents, I find she's a bit passive, mm-hmm. which makes her very complex. And, and I wonder what drew you to her as, as a character.
0: Um. I was interested in writing about a character who was not an action oriented character um, because it's something that I felt that I hadn't seen a lot. Like you said, when you think about uh, particularly young adult novels, uh, the the protagonists tend to be... um, very active in terms of they, they, um, they are almost, um, I don't want to use the word action figure, but they, the plots and main characters are definitely very uh, action-oriented and, and the main emphasis tends to be on that. And I was interested in writing something else and I think that many times we tend to associate, particularly with female characters, we tend to think that they, they, they need to be heavily action-oriented, to be strong. But I wanted to challenge that idea. I I thought that there are many different kinds of strengths. And I wanted to write about a character who is introverted, who uh, lives to a large extent inside her own head, but is still definitely a strong character. So yes, I deliberately tried to write something that was in a slightly different vein from most young adults and most dystopian stories.
1: Very interesting. And I wonder if you found it challenging to map out her inner life in, in such a detailed way. Mm-hmm. Was that, did that come naturally for you? Maybe you are that kind of person as well? Or was that a challenge in terms of bringing us to her through her, her rich inner life?
0: Mm, I think it came quite naturally because I'm I'm very introverted myself, so it was not something I, I didn't feel like I had to step out of how I see the world and slip into a different skin entirely. I mean, obviously Noria is not me. She's a different character. She's a different person. But um, But that is something that came naturally because I felt that the character had that in common with me.
1: I'm very interested in the fact that you know you're Scandinavian, it's set in a Scandinavian future mm-hmm. geographically, and I wonder how much of her character is also shaped by a particularly Scandinavian outlook and maybe that might be hard for you to parse being being in it and of that world, but I thought you brought and and much of what you described is is this different perspective, you've brought a different kind of heroine, one who is very close to nature, seems to understand it very well, Mm. can really tolerate being alone, Mm. and is very observant. And Mm. I wonder, is some of that purely, obviously some of that's purely your invention, but Mm. what part of that is also distinctly Scandinavian in your view?
0: Um... I would say that def- definitely being close to close to nature, understanding nature. Well, uh that is something that I think most people from Scandinavian countries would relate to quite strongly because the the seasons are very extreme because we are so far north. So you are very aware of the seasons and at the same time there is a lot of there's a lot of forest, there are many lakes and not that many people to be honest geographically speaking they are not densely populated countries except maybe Denmark but Norway Sweden and Finland definitely are not densely populated populated so you are in many ways you are always very close to nature and another thing that I think that is particularly Finnish is the introversion because Finland and Finnish culture Finnish culture is very introverted in many ways of course, there are extroverts in Finland as well. But for instance, compared with American culture, I think American culture tends to be very extroverted. It, and uh, extroversion is something that is emphasized and even admired in, in the American culture, in my experience. Whereas in Finland, introversion is seen as the normal state of things. It's something that the culture, I think, appreciates possibly more than in many other countries. So I, I, I do think that those two things, the closeness of nature and and the introverted outlook on the world, I think those are very heavily influenced by my, my background, my, my cultural background.
1: You know, you've set this in a, an authoritarian world, an authoritarian regime, and, you know, Finland today is a highly evolved democratic mm-hmm. Society, and yet the introversion you're describing that almost lends itself possibly to an authoritarian environment at least the world that Noria lives in where people really keep their gaze down when the, these troopers come and enforce mm-hmm. water quotas in brutally violent ways it's interesting that you can have that kind of culturally condoned introversion in a in a very free thinking society that I at least associate with the modern Finland.
0: That's right. I think that's um, connected to the past and the history of Finland, because Finland has actually only been independent. It's only been an independent country for less than a hundred years now. Before then, uh, Finland was always ruled by either Sweden or or Russia. So uh, I think because we were always a, we w- we were never a colonizing country that went to other places and and ruled other people. We were always a small country in between between ruled by bigger more powerful countries so i think probably the culture of introversion that we have in finland has a lot to do with that past
1: well the story a large part of it is about noria's attempts to understand the past And I think, you know, you really are showing how hard that can be, especially in an authoritarian culture.
0: Yes, I think something that happens in practically every authoritarian society is that part of the past is erased uh, and uh, people's perception of the past changes because because the history is not whole. It's it's or, or rather I should say that the history uh, that they know has pieces missing. Um, so rather than them having a consistent story about the past, there are holes in the knowledge that they have. And they, many times they, they don't have access to that information because that's a way of keeping the power structure strong.
1: Right. And, it, you know, we read about all the time how Twitter or Facebook or mm-hmm. some kind of social uh, internet platform is controlled by an authoritarian regime. And that's clearly going on in, in this world as well. One thing that really struck me was Noria's frustration with her strong desire to understand the past world through the artifacts that, that she and her close friend find it sounds like a huge garbage dump, but there's a lot of plastic that survived yeah. centuries from our world. And one of the most beautiful passages—I mean, the book is filled with them. I found though is when she was standing at a dry riverbed, and she thinks how the past world bleeds into the, her present world, mm. and she kind of wishes or imagines that the what would happen if her present world bled into the past. Mm. And there's one passage that I thought maybe you could amplify a little bit Um, she you know in, in Noria's voice you write I would like to think that she this person from the past who's standing at the river I would like to think that she turns around and goes home and does one thing differently that day because of what she has imagined and again the day after that and the day after that and I guess a question came to my mind that if you could articulate what would you you know outside the novel as the writer want us to do today knowing that our world is going to bleed into the future, you know, that would be different.
0: Right. That's actually a very challenging question. (laughs) Um, I suppose um, I was probably thinking of something. um, I was after some kind of idea of uh, taking responsibility for what we do. So um, I don't know if I have a way of saying this without sounding awfully naive about things but i mean for instance rather than making a choice that is less sustainable i'm 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 gonna go with something very very small and silly but for instance rather than buying a bottle of water buying bottled water rather than that having water from from your tap because that way you you reduce the plastic waste i know this is this is silly example but um basically what I was trying to say with that scene was that I was hoping that people would take the responsibility for what, for the choices that make and think about things in long term, uh, rather than short term benefit. If that makes sense.
1: It makes perfect sense. And it, from what I know, I mean, I'm not an environmental expert, but drinking from the tap versus a bottle, you know, apparently it's not just the plastic, but a huge amount of energy yes. and water is wasted in, in producing bottled water as well. Yes. So, yeah. uh, so that makes good sense to me. One thing that really struck me is something I've read in a couple other interviews that you've done is that you wrote Memory of Water simultaneously in Finnish and English. That's right. Oh, I find that completely mind-blowing. I, I mean, maybe it's because just the idea of writing anything in Finnish is mind-blowing mm-hmm. for me. But throwing in the simultaneous writing, I wonder if you could explain how you did that. Did you write one chapter at a time or one sentence at a time and go back and forth? And I wonder what that showed you about the two languages. Like, is Finnish better at communicating one kind of thing and English better at another?
0: Right, okay. It's actually something that I'm I'm interested in talking about because it was a very strange process for me. I didn't plan to write it in two languages, but uh, when I started writing the book, I was studying in the UK and I started writing for an MA in creative writing in the UK, so I had to write in English. And then what happened was that I discovered very early on that if I also wrote each chapter in Finnish it seemed to improve the end result. And so that's that's how I wrote. I wrote each chapter, usually f- the first draft in Finnish, then I translated into English and edited as I translated. And then I kept going back and forth between the two languages, which we, with each chapter, before moving on to the next chapter. So, So when I finished the book, I had... Uh, I had it in two languages. I had the manuscript in Finnish and in English. And I found that the process was, it's it's slow. I would recommend it to anyone who is not really motivated to do something like that because it, it does take time. It is a lot of hard work, but I found that I think the book became better because I had the two languages to work with. And what it taught me was that i mean english and finnish are extremely different languages english is a language that has a huge amount of words the vocabulary is is massive uh, compared to finnish anyway but the grammar is relatively simple whereas finnish is a language where you have a very small uh, vocabulary but the grammar is very complex and you can do a lot with those few words because of the grammar. So there, in some ways, you could say almost that they are at extreme ends of how how languages work. But for me, looking at the work in both languages forced me to be extremely careful. It forced me to throw away anything that was unnecessary. It forced me to look at each word and each sentence very closely on an almost microscopic level. So I felt that when I finished the manuscript, even if people didn't like it, at least I would be able to tell why I had made each one of the choices that I made in writing it because I had I had looked at the story through two languages rather than just one. It forced me to be very precise and I think that that was helpful for the book.
1: Wow, it sounds absolutely fascinating. <laughs> I wonder, have you been able to gauge responses in your Finnish reading audience versus your English reading audience and compare them? Do they reveal different things about the English-speaking world versus the Finnish-speaking world in terms of what people find most interesting?
0: Mm, Yeah, I think there's a bit of a difference. I mean, for the most part, the responses have been relatively similar in both Finland and the English-speaking world at least so far. But I have noticed that particularly uh, the American audience seems to many times feel that it's a bit too slow-paced because they're often used to more action-based plots plots and novels. And also another thing that I've noticed is that quite a few Americans seem to find the ending a bit too bleak for their tastes. And this is something that I did think about when I was writing. I I did wonder if if these two things might turn some audiences away, but at the end of the day, this was the book and this was the story I wanted to write and this was the way I wanted to write it. So I thought, I'll do it the way I feel it needs to be done, and then it will find the readers that it needs to find.
1: I have to say, good for you. I don't know if I should be expressing (laughs) my opinion as the interviewer, but Mm -hmm. I think that is very admirable, although Another question comes to mind, mm-hmm. did it ever cross your mind to give the English version a different, a few different twists versus the, the Finnish version?
0: No, that didn't cross my mind, actually, at all. Because at the time when I was writing the book, I was so deep in the story in many ways that I I, I couldn't imagine writing two different versions, just writing one one version in two languages was complicated enough, essentially. I did think very carefully about each plot twist, each each choice that I made with the story, but I never wanted to write two different versions of it.
1: As I was reading the book, it did occur to me that there was something distinctly European about your writing and the the parallel or the simile I would use it, it was it was a bit like a foreign film or what we would call in America what's foreign to us mm-hmm. where often you know the shots are the scenes are longer mm-hmm. they're more naturalistic mm-hmm. uh, you're seeing people do things around their house or their ordinary part of their day and there's something that I find very alluring and beautiful about about that kind of presentation, and particularly interesting in a book like yours, which is also science fiction. Mm-hmm. I was in my mind thinking, oh, this is not the American Hollywood action movie. This is the introspective foreign film.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, I think you're right about that, because how am I going to put this? Um, I, To be honest, I was quite surprised when the rights of the English version of the manuscript were sold to to the UK and and to the to to US because um I myself felt that that the book might not be that the book might be a bit too foreign to those cultures so I, I didn't actually expect it to be published in the US it was a surprise to me that it was And even now that it's out there, I'm not necessarily expecting it to find a big mainstream audience. I'm kind of aware that it may not be quite what the big mainstream audiences want. But I've tried to think about it from a positive point of view. and, And I try to think that if it finds a small group of readers who really enjoy it and who really get what the story is trying to do, that's actually a lot more important to me than finding a massive big audience for the story because it's just that type of it's just that that type of book it's just that type of story and if if you find a small audience that loves it you know that's already for me more than I could have hoped for when I was writing it
1: well i think you're adding to the canon of heroines and science fiction heroines and literature heroines a, a complex character that I'm sure there are many people who could appreciate and and it sort of broadens the the definition of what kind of person a heroine can be because mm. um, and I think that's an important for everyone
0: oh I hope so I hope so because I was trying to write a different kind of heroine so that would be that would be wonderful <laughs>
1: And is science fiction your thing? You, you had mentioned before we started that you're working on uh, a new book. Uh, mm. Is that also science fiction?
0: I actually, um, I'm in a bit of, I'm 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 not sure what I should call that book uh, genre-wise, because quite a few people have asked me about that. And I'm not sure that it's science fiction as such. I think it probably has more to do with fantasy or possibly alternate history, something like that. It's, it's, it's not set in the future. It's, it, it feels like the, the world is very different from the world we know and the world we live in, but it's, it's more like the past in some ways. It's less technologically advanced than our world, uh, and there are some other things about it. So I think probably fantasy or possibly new weird might be a better description than science fiction for the second novel.
1: Yeah, I guess there's so many genre categories. I noticed you were interviewed on a site that talks about cli-fi, as in climate fiction, so, That's right. and I'd never heard of that before, so I guess these distinctions are useful to some extent, but also perhaps inherently always going to be a little imprecise because every book is unique.
0: Yes, I think they are. And I'm actually not sure that you would find two people who agree completely on what the definition of science fiction is. I think there are as many definitions as as readers and writers out there.
1: I agree. I agree. And I have my books I've written that I do call science fiction, but they're also a bit alternate history as well. And
0: uh, yeah, they look very interesting. By the way, I put them on my reading list.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Let me ask you one more question. I wondered if you had any advice you'd like to share for other writers who are working on their first novels.
0: I will probably share the advice that uh, doesn't come from me, but uh, that I found most helpful. I am i don't consider myself a very experienced writer yet. I've only written but one novel so far. But what I found helpful is that when you are writing and um, and trying to get your work out there you need to write as much as possible you need to read as much as possible and widely not just one genre not just one type of books or stories but as you know anything because reading anything will 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 teach you Um, it will always be a learning experience another thing is that it's I think it's useful to get your work even if it's not published yet, I think it's useful to get your work out there in the sense of uh, finding someone to read it, finding someone you can trust who is willing to look at your work and give you some feedback because that will help you see what works, what may need more work and where your strengths are and what you still need to develop. So yeah, I think those those, those are the three most important things to me. Write as much as you can, read as much as you can, find someone to read your work and, and give you constructive, friendly, but also uh, truthful feedback. Those, those are the things that I would say.
1: Great. Well, thank you for that advice.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: well, thank you so much for taking the time and, and speaking with me. I have really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you. It, was, it has been a great pleasure talking to you.
1: Emmy Iteranta's Memory of Water, buy it, borrow it from the library. And if you want to buy it from Amazon, then please go to the New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy website at www.newbooksinsciencefiction.com and click on the link to Ms. Iteranta's book because that way a percentage of the purchase price will go to the New Books Network, which is a not-for-profit enterprise run entirely by volunteers like me. And speaking of me, you can find out more about me at my own website, www.robwolf.net. And once again, I want to remind everyone, please go to our Facebook page and click that little thumbs up symbol and stay tuned for new podcasts, another podcast two weeks from now, uh, when I plan to interview Shelby Westcott, who's the author of the Virulent series. Thank you.